2019 was the second most profitable year ever for commercial banking in the United States, as the industry pulled in a whopping $233 billion in net profits. The likes of JP Morgan bringing in $142 billion in revenues, Bank of America $113 billion in revenues, and another $103 billion each for both Wells Fargo and Citigroup. They are a cornerstone of how our society and economy works. So how do banks make money and what is fractional reserve banking and ultimately what should I consider when planning out my financial life as I work with banks? This is the Good Samaritan Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Jackson, where we talk about money, business, and life. Let's get into episode 14, how banks make money. Welcome to episode 14. I'm excited to get into this episode. We've been talking about banks a lot uh, recently, so I I actually have been working on a few ideas here, but this this, uh, brought in some more perspective uh, on the conversation. So I actually wanted to start this episode with just how banks make money. Uh, But before we get into that, I want to just revisit uh, for all my listeners out there. I'm sure you're on a on a plan, on a financial plan that you built for yourself. Uh, If you're a new listener, please go back and listen to financial assessment um, and really, you know, start start there on where you are. Listen to that podcast. Uh, But to feel confident, uh, it's a long road and it's tough. Uh, I know we my wife and I have. gradually been hitting milestones uh, in our financial plan, but sometimes you get just in the grit of doing it. You you wonder if it'll ever end, uh, but I promise you there's light on the at the end of the tunnel. Uh, so for anyone who needs to hear it, uh, keep working your plan. If you're playing down debt, like just keep chopping away at it. Um, each time you make a payment, each time you make an additional payment uh, on that debt, as I've said before, uh, more of your money has the opportunity to now go in your pocket uh, versus the bank or the lender's uh, pocket that you might have borrowed that money from initially. So uh, stay stay steadfast, stay tried and true, uh, and, and grind through it. Because uh, I promise you, you're gonna be you're gonna look back on it, and um, be very glad that you did it. Uh, so that brings us to banks, though. So uh, as I as as I kind of preluded to or precluded to was that banks, you know, pretty much are the people you get your money from whenever you're borrowing or you know, receiving a loan. Uh, they, you also, you know, if you're banking with the bank or you, you have your deposits in the bank, uh, that they also make money off of this money as well. So uh, there are a few ways banks typically make money. Uh, they include what they call net interest margin, or this is simply interest on loans uh, that they lend out. There's interchange and then just fees. It's actually a very uh, simple business. If, if there's a business I could open uh, hopefully the the financial system doesn't change in that way. Uh, but one of one of the businesses I would open is a bank. Uh, a bank pretty much makes money on top of money on top of money uh, in a very number of flexible ways. We have a lot of advantages uh, there. Um, a lot of a lot of times now they're you know FDIC insured, uh, which pretty much means their their deposits up to a certain amount. Uh, are insured by the government. This is actually, um, in theory or in concept, is there to protect depositors from losing their money. Uh, it keeps the depositors or people like us, average people, from doing what they call runs on the bank, uh, where banks become insolvent uh, because they are insured by the government to, you know, restore 
uh, people's confidence in banks. But I see it as another way to um, pretty much what they call rent sinking in the business world. Um, banks have a, a safety net pretty much. Uh, so they get to make money all kinds of ways, um, whether it's off depositors or off loans or off fees with uh, doing transactions with merchants. Uh, they have a safety net by way of FDIC insurance, which someone could also argue, you know, it helps the, the depositors in that way. Uh, but what I would, you know, other thing I would say you have to remember there is, is who's the FDIC or who's the who's the government? The government doesn't have money. The the taxpayers that fund the government have money. So. In a way, we insure our own money with the banks that we do business with. So keep that in mind. Um, but the other big thing, um, why I would, you know, I definitely open a bank. I actually Google search it. I, I have some some years to get down the road before I'm in the financial position there and to find some business partners. Partners, but um, the the thing about banks is is they get to pick the investments, and because of the way the loans are structured you base as a bank you pretty much can make money off of any industry uh you're pretty much just the gatekeeper or the intermediary um as a part of this system which is why i mentioned why there's such a, a big cornerstone with how uh, our economy works so being a bank is is uh pretty pretty good going and pretty uh a, a pretty awesome way to make money uh, because I, the the only downsides, quote unquote, is if you know they lose money, and the the one downside for any business or the risk has pretty much been removed, um, which is you know kind of where we are now. Why people can be so upset with banks? FDIC is something that's been you know around since the 1930s, I believe, with the New Deal. Um, but obviously, the Yo Wait crash. Uh, pretty much, you know, when you hear about bailouts from banks, I mean, us taxpayers pretty much uh, bailed out, you know, bad decisions made by banks. So if anything, uh, it sounds like a Teflon business to be in because when it's good, it's great. And if it gets bad um, and you make the wrong decision, someone will come save you. So if that's the case, then I don't know if there's any other business you'd rather be in if you can't fail, <laughs> uh, which is kind of sounds backwards to capitalism. Before we go into all that, there, there are a couple of topics in there uh, that I'll make some more episodes uh, that are related to some other things. But we'll stick uh, we'll stick pretty much just with banks. Um, we'll talk a little bit about uh, fractional reserve banking. Actually, we'll talk a, a lot more about fractional reserve uh, banking, which is kind of how our system is built. Um but let's talk about the the net interest margin or the, you know, pretty much the profits that banks make uh, from interest by providing out loans. Uh, I started off this episode talking about the two hundred and thirty three billion dollars of profit. So we're not even talking revenues. We're talking about profit uh, that banks walked away way with in twenty nineteen. Um, and that's all of our money uh, that they <laughs> that they make. Um a lot of it being fees, a lot of it being um, interest made on loans, um, we're, which, which we'll get into that here uh, right now. And then, uh, as I mentioned, interchange as well. Um, but banks fundamentally use, you know, their depositors money to uh, to make loans. And from there, they obviously you go to a bank to buy to get a mortgage, to get a auto loan, you can go get a personal loan, you can go get 
um, pretty much any kind of loan you can think of because I can I can I can guarantee you a bank or a credit union or someone who lends money has created a product uh, that you can you can buy into. Um, and what this you know net interest margin is is pretty much their aim is to collect you know more money um, in interest from borrowers than the money that you know they pay out in interest to their depositors. So it's always important to recognize what your APY is when you put your money in an account at a bank. Uh, hence, achieving you know their their main goal is to achieve a you know net interest margin or is there profit so if i right now i think my bank was at uh, or at least one of the banks that we bank with is our i believe our savings uh apy is a whopping 0.15 percent uh on the money that i put into into that bank which is pretty i mean it's as close as you can get to zero um, why is that right? Please go back and check out how the economic machine works. Um, when you hear about interest rates from a broader perspective dropping from the Federal Reserve or from the central bank, this is the you know, these are the monies that commercial banks, you know, borrow from the quote unquote central bank to then turn into products that they lend to you. So they have to pay interest back to the central bank uh, based on that money. Uh, and then they finally can go, you know, in interest to their depositors uh, where they're trying to work out the math there. Um, so, as I mentioned, so a whopping, you know, 0.15 percent, which is pretty much nothing. I think the, the bank tells you how much uh, interest you make. You make. Uh, so we'll, I, I love examples. You guys know I love examples. So uh, say you're holding, you know, 20K in an emergency fund. Um, at the end of that, you know, first year on the like, the 0.15% that I'm currently getting from my bank, the end of that first year, you roughly get about $30 and two cents, uh, in interest from keeping your $20,000, uh, in a savings account with that, with that bank. The, the key thing to remember is, is the minute that that 20K you take to the bank that you put into an account that you open with them, as soon as that money hits that bank, it goes pretty much right back into the economy. So say you put that money on January 1st, you open up a new account with $20,000. Uh, I would say probably by January the 5th, and this is a guess because I, I haven't actually done any research on how fast they flip the money. They might do it the next day. Uh, but even if they do it in the first month, um, they flip that money right back into the economy, you know, via a loan for, uh, like I said before, anything you can think of, a personal loan, auto loan, or a mortgage uh, to another borrower, another person who comes to the bank. Uh, this is how they, you know, make loans out um, to customers um, using the money that you deposit. So remember that first year you make, you make $30 on the current rates um, at the bank that we're in. Even the high yield savings account rate, I think, is only about 1% right now because rates are so low, uh, which is still, I believe that's 10 times better than what you get in the, the majority savings rate. So it's important. The first thing you can learn from this uh, particular episode is know what your interest rate is that you're paying at your bank, at least Get the best bank, get the best rate um, from the bank in your area if you want to have a bank you pull up to or there are online banks. Uh, but pay attention to what your your interest rate is on your money. If you're keeping your, your money in the bank, it's not uh, so much about 
um, them being right down the street, some of the other conveniences that they they offer. So back to the example. So you put your your 20K in a normal uh, savings account. Um, what the bank does is say they lend out $18,000 of it. The reason why I say $18,000 uh, is actually there used to be a, a reserve requirement uh, set by the central bank uh, where banks had to keep a reserve of 10 percent. And I'll get into fractional reserve banking uh, here in a minute. But they lend out 18K uh, for a loan for a car loan to a borrower uh, at 9.49 percent. I picked that rate because it's the average auto loan rate um, uses the average APR for a car loan. So for a used car specifically at the end of 2019. Uh, in the first year, the bank will earn uh, about $1,700 in interest on that loan. So if you're following me on the example, so I, you put your $20,000 into this bank. They give you, they, they let you open the account for free. Uh, the, the, the accounts are free so they can entice you to put your money in the bank. Uh, you have $20,000 in your account. They turn around and flip $18,000 of it the next day. Uh, by lending it out to a a person looking for a auto loan. That person, they charge 9.49% in interest on this auto loan uh, for the length of their loan. Meanwhile, you're getting 0.15% interest on that same money, pretty much, that you have in the bank. Uh, so as a comparison, you know, in that first year, the bank will earn... $1,700 in interest just on this one loan that they uh, that they lent out. If you remember, as I just said a, a minute ago, in a year, that same year in interest, you will earn $30 uh, on that money. So the bank will pay you your $30. They will pocket the rest of the $1,700. So I guess that's probably about $1,670 uh, in interest uh, of that money they lent. Um, and then they, you know, they pretty much flipped your money for profit. And that's, that's pretty much a small example of we were following the money on how banks kind of profit off interest and loans. So say we look at this from a, you know, from say we look at the same loan over, you know, 60 months, which I believe is the average time period uh, on an auto loan. So say, you know, you're getting they're getting seventeen hundred dollars uh, a year in interest um, in the first year technically goes down, you know, with each payment that's made because principal goes down. But if you pay attention to uh, some of the loan products and the way they're set up now, based on the term links, you don't pay a lot of principal for pretty much a good while uh, in the first part of the loan. So say you're, you know, seventeen hundred dollars in profit or sixteen seventy in profit on this one loan that they're getting, pays you thirty dollars, netting the bank, you know, sixteen seventy in profit, and you know that's just a start. Over the course of sixty months, you know, the average term length in twenty nineteen on an auto loan, uh, the banks, you know, the bank can earn almost forty six hundred dollars uh, in interest. Uh, over that same time period on that same money you had in the bank, uh, so 60 months is what, five years, uh, the bank's going to pay you about $150. Uh, so their total profitability on that loan itself, uh, off the $20,000 that you put into the bank, is about $4,527. Uh, 
Uh, so those are, you know, this is this is just the game and how it works. It's uh, people are very aware, aware of this uh, for the people that are. If you're not this, if you're not, this is how uh, pretty much the banking game works. So over five years on that twenty thousand uh, dollars, the bank will have earned forty five hundred dollars off that money that you invested. Uh, you will have earned for keeping that money in the bank uh, based on the rates uh, that I based on the current rates, uh, is about $150, which is a pretty big pig discrepancy. Um, and then if you can think about this from a larger perspective, so, you know, banks do this with billions of dollars from depositors over millions and millions of transactions every day. So as I, as I you know, alluded to initially, if there's a business you want to have, <laughs> Uh, a bank is probably probably high on the list, at least top three, um, because all they did was flip the money. There's, you know, right now, especially with digital banking uh, and the way you're following loans. Um, I mean, you're basically just using money to, to make money. Uh, well, and most of the risk is is laid with the um, with the with the borrowers. Depending on how greedy you want to become uh, as a bank, hence the whole system of credit scores and verifying um, borrowers' ability to repay, whether it be income, et cetera, et cetera, collateral that they might have, uh, which is why that whole part of the game exists as well. So that's just from an, you know, an auto loan perspective. You know, just imagine the windfall on a 30-year mortgage over the you know, swath of millions of people uh, in our country, you know, why it's marketed so heavily uh, to consumers is because it's, you know, the profitability on the 30-year mortgage is insane <laughs> if you do the math. Um, so I, I gave you the example on the auto loan. I won't go into an example on a 30-year mortgage because I thought the auto loan itself uh, was a, a big enough uh, description of how profitable banks um, are in this system. Uh, and why there's such a big part of uh, how money moves through the the economy. Uh, so that actually bring me to you know fractional reserve banking. So what you know is fractional reserve banking? So you know from my example, there's a there's there are other things I I didn't include there um, that makes this such a lucrative deal. If if it if the if the bank just loaned out twenty thousand dollars or eighteen thousand dollars, which I'll get to here in a second, and it stopped there and they just they just make forty five hundred dollars off that eighteen thousand dollars that they loaned out. And if it was just say, you know, a a dual um transaction uh between the depositor, the bank, the borrower and the bank on that one particular loan. The way fractional reserve banking works is, as I mentioned, you probably noticed that I, you know I, I mentioned 18k of the 20k deposited in the example. Uh, it's because banks must follow what I alluded to earlier, uh, a thing called the reserve requirement, which is set by the central bank. It was uh, at 10% and 3%. Uh, pretty much what the reserve requirement is, is as a bank, you had to um, maintain a certain level of reserves. So essentially, the government limited how much money you could lend out uh, to the general public. 
So if you had a deposit, you know, if you had a if you had de- deposits, you know, totaling one hundred and twenty seven uh, and a half million or more, uh, you had to maintain a three percent uh, reserve. You had a three percent reserve requirement uh, for you know banks who had deposits from you know pretty much seventeen million to the hundred and twenty-seven million. Uh, they had to have a ten percent uh, reserve requirement or amount of reserves that they kept in the bank. So, for the to to put it down bluntly, for the back to the twenty thousand dollar example, the bank. By law, can only lend out eighteen thousand, so they because it's ten percent uh, of the amount in the account or that was deposited by the depositor. Uh, the bank, by law, was required to have two thousand dollars in the vault. We'll put it that way: in the vault at the bank. The other eighteen thousand uh, dollars could be lent out, could be put in the loans. Um, any kind of loan, as I mentioned before. And I say <laughs> I use the past tense of was um, because I don't know if if you've been paying attention or have been paying attention. Um, but prior to March 26, 2020, that was the case. Um, since March 26, uh, the reserve requirement went down to zero percent. Um, and I actually have. A good example of what, how that changes the whole the whole market and how much money can be floating around in the economy. Uh, some of these rules were put into place by the Obama administration uh, to put limits on banks because they had such a big part in the uh, collapse of 2008. People have uh, been I wouldn't even say speculating. You might have heard that the Trump administration has been rolling back some of the protections against banks over the years where this is one of those uh, protections. The reason why the reason why people are worried about this, uh, because it allows banks to be more risky. Uh, They're able to lend out pretty much with that zero percent. If I put twenty thousand dollars into Bank of America, J.P. Morgan, or uh, any credit union, anywhere a bank or a lender has money, they can lend out all 20000 of it and not keep any of it in the vault as reserves um, for their depositors. So as of literally March 26, 2020, uh, that's the case. Banks can lend out all the money that they, that they want uh, at their heart's desire. They can lend out all of their depositors' money uh, technically, uh, they could have no money in the actual bank, um, though that that's not how you see it on your end. Your money, uh, as you can say, as you notice, quote unquote, stays in your bank. Uh, this is how we'll get to, you know, fractional reserve banking can not even say can. It pretty much creates money out of thin air. Um, so let's go back to that twenty thousand um, dollars. These are pretty much, you know, the tenets of you know fractional reserve banking, um, th- where the bank can take twenty thousand dollars and is able to ultimately turns it into one hundred and eighty thousand uh, dollars worth of loans that they make interest on. So how does twenty thousand dollars turn into one hundred and eighty thousand dollars? And pretty much it's it's one hundred and eighty thousand dollars in credit. But we we treat credit and cash as the same thing in the market. Um, Go back to listen to how the economic machine works. I kind of talk about cash and credit. 
um, but $20,000 actual cash that a depositor might put into a bank can be flipped into a total of $180,000 of credit that borrowers might be, you know, might be um, paying interest on. So how does it get to Jason? How does how does a bank turn 20K into $130,000 worth of debt? Well, that's pretty much fractional reserve banking. So back to the example, the seller of the car um, has a key role in the, you know, in boosting this transaction uh, or this 20K deposit into, you know, this $180,000 of potential debt that the, the bank can make money on. So the seller, the dealer, you know, closes this deal on this car. So as a depositor, my $20,000 went into the bank. A borrower came into the bank that day, borrowed $18,000 uh, of that money for the car. They went to the dealership or, you know, they, they went to the dealership. They negotiated for this car. They got this car for $18,000. What does the dealership do with this $18,000? They put this $18,000 into their bank. <laughs> so they put their $18,000 into their bank. So they're the car dealership or the seller uh, is also a depositor uh, in the bank. So, yes, you know, so, yes, you guessed it. You know, this money is then lent out again uh, by the bank uh, to other borrowers. So now this 20000 turned to $18,000, the $18,000 goes into the bank and prior to this past, you know, March 26th, uh, the bank had to have a reserve of 10%. So now we take 10% of the 18,000 that this bank has just received because of the prior transactions. Uh, and now they lend out $16,200. Um, so each time a transaction is done, uh, the amount that the bank can lend out is lowered, but it's fresh money or fresh credit, I should say, uh, that goes back out uh, into the economy because of this reserve requirement, you know, set by the central bank. So pretty much this, you know, you can almost think like this $20,000, this money is being flipped uh, each time it's deposited and then relent out uh, to borrowers until it pretty much Technically, max it out and in concept maxes out at one hundred and eighty thousand uh, dollars. If you want to do the math, there's actually a calculator uh, online that will do this math for you. Uh, just Google fractional reserve uh, banking calculator because uh, it'll kind of blow you away. I think I'll blow you away here in a in a moment. Um, so pretty much you get to 180K uh, has been created and it's out in the economy uh, for people to for that money to move around as you remember the economy um you know sellers and uh, buyers drive the economy uh people you know buying and doing transactions is what drives the economy the bank is able to create money through fractional reserve banking pretty much um and how you can you know you can pretty much flip 20k into 180k that it's pretty much what a bank can do with fractional reserve uh, banking. As I mentioned uh, before, that 10%, that 3%, you know, reserve requirement, depending on the size of your bank or really the, the size of your deposits in your bank, uh, all went to 0% uh, back on, on March 26th. 
Um, so we basically allowed banks to not hold any reserves um, to for a number of reasons. You know what? You know what does that mean? What's the difference between having ten percent or zero percent as a reserve in the bank? Um, but officially, you know, it allows banks to access even more capital uh, from depositors, you know, savings or money that they put in the bank uh, to lend out to borrowers to help generate more economic activity, uh, which is true. Uh, but it also increases the bank's ability to profit uh, significantly uh, on the concept of fractional reserve banking. So let's take that same $20,000. Um, that res if the reserve requirements at 10%, as I mentioned, that money can pretty much get flipped to about a total of $180,000 that's lent out to borrowers. Uh, this $180,000 that's lent out, uh, to, to remind you, is each one of those loans that totals to this $180,000 has interest rates on them that people pay to the bank, which contributes to their profits, which contributes to this $233 billion that they made in just 2019 alone uh, as an industry. Now that we're three to four months in and banks have you know, tightened their lending requirements because I think they, they know what situation they're in, that they still can be profitable. They're not going to be as loose as they were uh, in a way because I think they definitely felt the ramifications uh, from the, you know, from the political side, as you can even see uh, from how the stimulus ha has gone out, even though we're still fighting. Uh, and I say we the Congress still fighting over, you know, whether this money should go to businesses or people, um, which, you know, people, people, people are the ones that put this money into the government. Um, if you want to if you want to generate economic activity, in my opinion uh, give it to the people because they're going to go spend it. The the banks and the the retailers and everyone in the economy uh, is going to you know benefit from the economic activity uh, opposed to what actually happened uh, from the bailouts from uh, 08 is the banks pretty much held on to all that money, didn't put it out into the economy. Um, and then as notoriously, uh, people know a lot of executives got paid off with taxpayer money. Uh, that's what bailouts are. It's it's taxpayer money. Um, but here nor there. Back to the the example. Um, now that the Federal Reserve requirement is down to zero percent and not ten percent, uh, is at you're like Jason. It's only ten percent. Like it's generating economic activity. It's going to help save the economy. The people who benefit the most are the banks. Um, that twenty thousand uh, dollars. Once you do the fractional reserve banking and do the calculations, once you flip that money. So now, when I put my twenty thousand dollars in, the bank lends out twenty thousand dollars to the next borrower that comes up. Uh, then they're able, you know, that that borrower they do that transaction. The twenty thousand dollars gets put back into the bank. Guess what happens? Another twenty thousand dollars. Uh, gets re-lent out and that that cycle can pretty much go on forever because there is no there's no reserve anymore so that twenty thousand dollars can can turn into twenty million dollars um once it's all said and done it's really uncapped uh because it you know fractional reserve banking it, with it with the rate being at ten percent um, you can you pretty much kind of control the amount of money that can be created 
from fractional reserve banking. And maybe I should go, you know, into more, a little more detail. How is this like, Jason, what do you mean money is created? It's printed out of thin air. The reality is if I take, if as a depositor, I've worked and earned my $20,000 and I put it into a bank and my account, it still says $20,000. I do transactions off of my money in my account. This money technically just turns into a bunch of ones and zeros. It just turns into math. The bank based on your deposits or their deposits from their depositors creates can now create and not say now but because it's a zero requirement can create twenty thousand dollars of credit for a borrower so when the borrower comes to the bank they say hey i want to buy this car the bank goes oh we think you can pay cool here's twenty thousand dollars it doesn't physically leave your account, or at least it doesn't leave your account in the way of zeros and ones, but that $20,000 is getting lent out based on your deposit. So your $20,000 turns into $40,000 in the economy, um, which is how the money has been created pretty much uh, out of thin air, <laughs> you know, pretty much out of thin air. And we repeat this process over and over and over and over and over again, um, which boost the the money supply that's how lending and fractional banking uh can boost the money supply i'm going to do a whole episode on on the money supply and how it impacts you so jason why actually you've done all this you know information for me like why is it you know why is it important to me to you know care about fractional reserve banking whatever actually uh, happens to my money when i put it in the bank you know understanding the you know, just understanding that the majority of your money is technically at risk in the market and then the the entity that benefits the most off of it is the bank. Um, it's this is, you know, it, like I said before, money is pretty much created out of thin air and by way of credit uh, when the bank lends it out to a borrower. You know, should I, you know, should I be lose? Should I be worried about, you know, losing my money by putting in the bank? Not necessarily, um, but it does, you know, make the dollar weaker. Like the, the whole reason why the government has the FDIC and banks are FDIC insured is to give people, you know, confidence that they can put their money in the bank. So you won't, you won't necessarily. I, I, at least I won't, I won't say never say never. Um, but the whole way that we built our system is that you should, you know, you should never fear uh, to not have your money, uh, you know, your money disappearing out of the bank. That's why we don't see bank runs. We haven't seen a legit bank run since, I believe, since the, the 1930s, which is why the, the rule was implemented. If you understand that the bank is making money off of your money, um, it's important that you want to stay liquid and even really just think about, you know, what it means to have your your money in the bank. Is it to do transactions? Is it to use your debit card? Do you have to have an account to do some type of transactions? Like, yes, have your, your money in the bank. Don't take your, you know, you don't have to fear actually losing uh, your money like it will go away because of the, in you know, the insurance by the FDIC, which is you, the taxpayer. Let's not get it twisted. But the bigger piece I want you to understand is because money gets created and the money supply continues to increase, uh, you are still hurt uh, 
in this process and how you're hurt is the value of the dollar goes down. So the more money, it's the it's the same way that we think about stimulus in the economy and running deficits uh, with our government. And ultimately, what we do is we reduce the value of the dollar. Uh, the more money we print and pretty much fractional banking pretty much prints money uh, in the same way that we might drop a trillion dollars into the economy via stimulus. Um, people should recognize like one, the stimulus is our money. If the government decides to print money, which is what we do, which is what we've done uh, the last 40, 50 years, ever since we went off the gold standard, uh, it has reduced the value of the dollar, which means your money doesn't go as far as we've talked about uh, on the economic machine. Uh, volume one and two is your money doesn't go as far. And, that, and what that means is, is goods cost more. And when I say goods, that means everything costs more. That means houses cost more. Cars cost more. Uh, the standard of living is just higher. Did the services or the goods change? No, it's the dollars weaker. So it requires more dollars uh, to, quote unquote, sustain, to sustain the same standard of living uh, year to year, which is why so, so much of a huge proponent of investing and trying to keep up with uh, this printing machine that's happening uh, in our country. There's a reason why you don't why you feel like you can't get ahead by no matter how much money you make, uh, because with things like fractional reserve banking, stimulus, uh, the printing of money reduces the value of the dollars that you have. So the forty thousand dollars that you make in 2020 buys way less than the very same $40,000 salary from 10 years ago and 20 years ago. And why you, you know, you might hear articles about millennials not making as much as baby boomers and as much as their parents. It's because the devaluing of the dollar and stagnant wages that have happened. Uh, but I have, I, I'll, we'll make another how the economic uh, machine works there, but fractional banking can contribute to this because it creates, it creates money. Uh, in the market, uh, pretty much out of thin air from depositors' uh, money. I, like I've said on the other economic machine, is that the majority of what we call money in the economy is actually credit uh, because there are loans against all of this money that interest is being made on, um, but we, we might not view it that way. Um, so that's the first thing I, I really want you to you know, understand when it comes to fractional reserve banking and why it's important to you. If you look at your interest, if you look at how low the interest rates are, as I mentioned in the example earlier, you made $30 with your money in the bank for a year. If you ask me, they know different than putting that money under your mattress or keeping it at your house. At least if there ever was a run on the bank, you would at least still have uh, your money. But yeah, thirty making $30 off $20,000 sitting in the bank is nothing. You're more so keeping your money in the bank because of the convenience um, to use this money with merchants, etc. That's why there are people out here who only deal in cash. Because uh, as I've mentioned before, banks make money off fees with merchants. Every time you swipe your card, they have to pay the, uh, the Walmarts and the the local grocery store or wherever they accept card payments, banks make a fee off of that. 
so that's how they boost their profits and how they get to that 233 billion because they make money off you as a depositor. They make interest off the loans, off the very money that you put into the bank. And then when you use your debit card everywhere, because we're cashless, they charge fees to do <laughs> to do the transaction <laughs> uh, with the merchants where you use your money. So as I, as I mentioned before, uh, based on the current system, if there's a business that I'd uh, I would want to have it's a it's a bank and probably not a brick and mortar bank, but definitely an online bank because man, the getting is good and there ain't uh, doesn't appear that that's going to change anytime soon. So knowing this, my second recommendation or a big takeaway I want you to have for this conversation uh, is really managing your your cash flow and really your cash amounts. Uh, so you know at maximum, as we talked about having your emergency savings. It's okay to have that in the bank. If you don't feel comfortable, I do, you probably don't have that much risk in not keeping it uh, in a bank based on how low the, the interest rates are. Um, but at maximum, you know, just keep your, your savings uh, in a bank. The other, like Jason, what I do with the rest of my money? Well, it's the same thing I've been, uh, I've been preaching. It's a big part of this, uh, this podcast is turning your cash into assets as fast as you can. Assets that will, quote unquote, bring more value uh, to you than, than cash ever ever could or can and definitely can in these days because uh, the value of the dollar has done nothing but depreciate for 30 years, years straight. Um, some even argue uh, that it's, it's not the, you know, that, the assets are increasing in value per se, uh, though, you know, they're a good amount are just based on the productivity that they're driving. Uh, but some is just because the dollar is undervalued. Um, so it costs more dollars to buy things like homes, um, et cetera, et cetera. So after you have your, your max savings, if you have that in an account, uh, all your other money, it's, you know, you want to convert that to assets. So stocks, uh, bonds, uh, real estate, buy property or land, things that were, are going to hold value. Uh, and wh when people say that it holds value is as the dollar goes down, the price of the land goes up or the price of the stock goes up, uh, depending on the company, the price of the ETF or mutual fund uh, or gold. You'll notice that everyone's piling into uh, things like gold and Bitcoin uh, at the moment because people are the people that understand what's happening is that the dollar is continuing to be more and more undervalued as we continue to print, print and print more money. Um, you want to be in assets that um, hold value because um, the dollar is just just not as reliable uh, anymore, really, probably since we went off the gold standard, but especially now because our deficit as a country is out of control. Uh, so the dollar will only continue to decrease and decrease. Uh, I'm probably going to do an episode. There are a couple of things in there. I'm definitely going to do an episode on crypto because I've been uh, reading a lot uh, about crypto and what you know what that means for uh, the world economy, uh, as well as as I mentioned, the money supply and some other great things are, are going to come out of this uh, this one show. So be on the the lookout for that. The other big thing I want you to definitely take care, take out of the you know understanding banking and fractional banking, uh, how it prints how it prints money or creates money and you know I say money or credit uh, in the economy um, and drives economic uh, activity. Uh, so the banks are 
are definitely in a, a strong position to be uh, capable, but it's always good for you to understand how the system works because when you understand how the system works, um, you might ha have heard stories about wealthy people having safes at their homes. I'm sure you watch TV or movies where they have safes with gold in them and jewels and uh, different kinds of assets. Uh, it's important to keep you know, your money in those assets. And it kind of, you know, I've had friends who've had these conversations uh, about these things happening. You know, when I was younger, I'd be like, huh, why would, you know, why got all this money? Why don't they just keep it in the bank? Um, and then you start to realize like, oh, the dollar's being undervalued. So you can hold on to that value if you convert that cash into, you know, better assets that hold value than actually having the U.S. dollars uh, yourself based on the way things have been going have continued uh, to go as I mentioned Bitcoin uh, or cryptocurrency we're going to talk about that more uh, but the be, because of the nature with the dollar uh, Bitcoin's been around for 10 years I think it went from uh, the valuation was in the tens and now I believe it actually started to spike uh, this week it was I think it's around eleven thousand dollars per Bitcoin uh, and there's a reason for that because people are are paying attention. Uh, but we'll talk more about crypto uh, down the road and um, what's happening there. So no worries there. We won't get into that on this show. But um, I really hope you enjoyed today's show. Uh, definitely take you know heed of you know what banks are actually doing with your money. Do what you feel is comfortable uh, with your money. Always talk with a uh, financial advisor. Um, these are you know these are all just and opinions um, but talk to a financial advisor I can't make any decisions for you you have to make it for yourself um, but as always you know check us out on Instagram we're at the Good Samaritan Podcast uh, on Instagram and no matter where you are in your financial journey always take the time to be a Good Samaritan peace